everybody, and welcome again to How Digital Technology Changes Work, the podcast from MWD Advisors. I'm Craig Wentworth, a Principal Analyst here at MWD, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Rogers, who's the Senior Director of Analytic Strategy at TIBCO. But we're not here today to talk about TIBCO particularly, rather we're going to chat a bit more generally about uh, data privacy and transparency and governance and ethics and GDPR and all that good stuff. So, Sean, welcome. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Right, well, first off, I wondered if you could just uh, start by saying a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to be working in this field. <laughs> well, I've been in the field for about 20 years in several different capacities. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the top here, not really so much here today to talk about the company I work for, which is fine because you know, I entered this business sort of as a third party through the side of the press, and uh, I ran several publications that cover these topics. And uh, afterwards, I, uh, I became an industry analyst a little bit like you and, uh, <laughs> and did that for quite some time. And, uh, and then, as they say, I, I jumped the fence and, and joined the other side. So uh, now very pleased to be part of the strategic team here at TIPCO. So, um, yeah, quite a bit of a – I'm getting old, so I've been in the space a long time. <laughs> mature and seasoned i think yeah the, uh, thank the you that's a great term for it <laughs> we'll use we'll use that in the writer excellent now then um we've already mentioned those uh those four little letters uh gdpr um uh, in the in the intro there and over here in europe certainly there was a lot of uh, shall we say excitement <laughs> about the deadline <laughs> for for gdpr a couple of months ago but but now that that's passed um, Sean, does that mean that we can stop worrying about data privacy and, and focus on something else? Well, thank goodness. You're all done, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, path, the deadline arrived in May and, and everybody was complete. Uh, that would be uh, the wonderful story to tell about GDPR, but I, I think an awful lot is uh, yet to come. You know, you and I have talked about this subject matter before and, you know, GDPR is an interesting sort of topic because I do think that it represents opportunities for companies to run their businesses differently and better. It, it certainly forces us to optimize our approach to privacy and to data. Um, and, I, and I don't think we're anywhere near being done. I think a lot of companies are still furiously working to become compliant. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's going to be very interesting here in the next few months to see what the uh, regulatory arm of GDPR does and how they behave in, in various places. Mm. I mean, interesting you say there about um, you know looking almost looking on the bright side and there being there being positives that organisations can take away from this and 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 using uh, the process of getting to GDPR compliance as a kind of springboard to to almost enter a different phase a different plane of of their relationship with data and and their customers' data and so on and this is something I think that, that you and I certainly have spoken about before and it's something that here at MWD we've been very uh, clear to sort of set out our, our thinking on so it's i wonder if you could sort of chew over that for a little bit because it's not in in the run-up to the the uh, gdpr deadline it, it wasn't the thing that was making the news the most i think it was a lot of kind of uh, scare stories and project fear but actually the, there is a uh, the, there is a good side to this i think as well if you get the governance stuff on track isn't there yeah you know i think what it does is companies or enterprise firms as as in general would probably tell you that they won't spend a lot of time and effort to fix something if it doesn't appear to be broken. And I think for mm -hmm. a long time, most businesses have turned a blind eye to how they manage 
data and privacy you know, kind of at the edge in the sense that if it's good enough to help us run our business, then we're fine with that. And of course, GDPR mm. is imposed some guidelines that you just can't, you simply can't ignore. And, and one of the reasons, of course, is because it's very punitive and it's, it's very expensive to make a mistake. And so I think oh, yeah. that it presents, yeah, it presents that opportunity for companies to start maturing their approach to data. So while a regulation has appeared in GDPR that forces us to do that. I think the smart companies are going, okay, we don't have a choice, so let's do it. Let's do it right, and let's make it more foundational to our overall success. And we're seeing companies uh, in the marketplace that who who got off to an early and smart start are now finding that their analytic practices and their view of customers and those types of important things are starting to deliver greater ROI because, frankly, they've organized their data management in such a way that they now have more power than they used to. So in a way, for me, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's easy for me to say being here in the U.S., but, you know, we deal with international firms all the time. So many companies here in the United States are very concerned about GDPR, and they all kind of see it that way, that it's something that mm. needs to be done, but it also has a, you know, there's a, a pot at the end of that rainbow of, of gold that means, hey, you know, we're, we're going to mature how we handle data, and it's going to be a better foundation for successful work. So, um, you know, I do think there's a, a bit of a rainbow here. Yeah, I mean that kind of sort of foundational um, take on it, because obviously, when you're getting yourself into better shape for 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 GDPR compliance, you know, one of the early things you need to do is to get a much better handle on on the data that you have, and and to understand where your personal data is and what it is, and, and who has access to it, and so on. So I think you know go, going through that kind of audit process um, just on its own is going to be beneficial to a lot of organisations that maybe didn't really have as good an idea of what what was what was under their fingertips as they thought and 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 then having that available like you say to feed into the analytics processes and so on suddenly means that they've got a better access to maybe a richer set of data than they even thought they had before even before you get to the point of then uh, having the the potential to engage with customers and maybe um, trade on a much more open um, relationship about what they're doing with the data because that opens up a whole uh, a whole new sort of uh, relationship around sort of transparency and um, both parties being much more uh, aware of the affordances of, of the data being crunched for their benefit, if you like, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly agree. And, and you, you know, it's it's kind of like that old adage of everything old is new again. You know, companies are standing back and. <laughs> re-examining, you know, what their MDM practice looks like, what their data management practice looks like, you know, whether or not they have proper data governance in place. And I think what, what GDPR has done is it's opened the door to restart those conversations and improve the technologies. I, I find it very interesting right now that often when I, when I meet customers out there that are trying to solve new problems, uh, and they wanted to use, say, you know, these these hot topics like uh, AI and ML to solve things. Mm -hmm. The conversation beginning with technology that may have been in the market for a while. You know, it's interesting that uh, data virtualization is an interesting topic right now from a technological standpoint. And the reason for that is is 
if you have data virtualization, it allows you to bring all these disparate data sources together in a single place. And 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 you know, and I kind of smile when I hear it because I think, oh, you know, data virtualization isn't a brand new technology, but it seems to be a brand new solve for the problems that people are addressing <laughs> today. And it and it adds to just exactly what we're saying. If you want to leverage uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and some of these more sophisticated ways of working with your customers. Again, you have to have the foundation. So I go to clients and, and customers and expecting to speak about those things and end up talking about uh, technologies that support it. And, and I think I think overall that's a good thing. It's forcing the hand of co companies to re-examine where they're at and what they want to accomplish. Mm. And then once they once they get into these new technologies, the, um, the machine learning services and so on that that they may be able to to call upon from from various partners in an ecosystem to to process that data and process that content and and squeeze more value out of it. Um, one would hope then they're in a, in a better frame of mind to approach the whole end-to-end -end governance uh, aspect of that um, with, with more open eyes because of course you're you're then looking at uh, data going off to multiple parties to to be uh, to be processed to give you these advantages but you need to have that kind of framework in mind from an organizational perspective because of your responsibilities as data processor and data controller and so on so that you're able to to, to be able to give your customers that assurance that the data is being handled properly aren't you yeah, well, you know, and that speaks to this idea of, for me at least, uh, context and trust. And so, you know, if I'm a bank or an insurance company and I, I handle a lot of, you know, personally identifiable information about my customers, and I want to use that information to serve them better, like to offer them a mortgage or to add on a service or what the next best offer to that customer is, it has to be in context and there has to be a level of trust. And I think that that's what it's really going to force over time here is, is companies that don't do it well, that do it sort of in a non-refined way with non-refined systems and frameworks are going to mm. find themselves trapped in that context and trust triangle with their customer. And customers are going to choose not to do business with places that you know can't maintain the context of the relationship and certainly that are those that are untrustworthy again i i, I know it's part of a regulation but i i see that as a positive and 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 it's more and more i think becoming uh an important part of the relationship that companies have with customers and their data um, we don't mind being touched by advanced insights like AI and ML, but we want to, we want that and we expect it to be in a way that makes sense to us. It, I think, you know, it's like if Netflix didn't tell me what show to watch next, Craig, I'd be disappointed in Netflix because <laughs> I trust them and, and, it's, and it's in context. They're using algorithms to determine what kind of movies I like. Uh, you know, if I visited Amazon, and, and wanted to buy a uh, you know a pair of golf pants, and it didn't say that I should also buy the blue shirt or the jumper to go with it. Then I would be a bit put off by their inadequate service. And so, <laughs> while while my expectation changes, I expect the sophistication of those I do business with to keep pace with that. And and I think some brands do it rather well. And I think we've all stumbled on some brands that are way out of context, <laughs> lack of trust. 
and aren't executing. And those, I think, generally are companies that probably saw GDPR as a negative, um, not a positive. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and I think you, you're right there about the, sort of the end customer expectation, because like you say, we're, we're all now starting to, to expect uh, sort of seamless, extreme personalization that does, uh, you know, to tell us what to watch next, but get it right, you know, not tell us what sure. to watch and get it wo woefully wrong. Um, or you don't want to be staring at a blank screen for the rest of your evening. Um, uh, but, but, but I think it's really important, like you say, to, um, to sort of bring this on the level so that it's very open about, well, okay, we're, we're able to provide you with these services. We're able to provide you with this level of service by uh, analyzing your, your personal data and your past behavior on our sites and all the rest of it. And, and the, the quid pro quo is, you know, if you, if you let us do this, we will do that for you. And I think if those affordances are out in the open and they're fully understood by, by uh, provider and consumer, I think that that makes for a much better relationship, one that can really build on the kind of comp uh, transparency and, and you said trust, I think as well. And I think that's very important stepping into a sort of different phase of, of data literacy with the customer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I do, and and honestly, and and not to not to you know wax poetic today, but you know I I think that over the next decade we'll see this model get turned around uh, 180 degrees. So right now, uh, companies and, and places can they they harvest data about us and our behavior and our likes and dislikes and proclivities and propensities to do certain things. And, and again, like I said, this context and trust plays a lot, a big role here. I, I, I follow some of these kind of future thinkers around the economy. And, you know, there's a guy named Doc Searles who writes for the Harvard Business Review. And Doc is writing a lot right now about how the information economy is going to switch. And, and his belief is, is that eventually there will be ways for consumers to control their data and actually simply sell it or trade it to uh, companies and decide what we want to trade. And so for right yeah. now, I don't have that granular capability with my bank. I can't, I can't tell the bank, well, I'd like you to track X, Y, and Z, but I don't want you to look at A, B, and C. And, and I'm going to expose X, Y, and Z to you through this interface. I think we're a long way away from it, but thinkers like guys like Doc Searles and others, I think, make a very good point that the consumers will probably have more control in the end, and GDPR is one of those stimulants that moves us in that direction. Mm. I mean, it's it's interesting that whole idea about um, you know the, the customer, the consumer taking more control over over their personal data. Um, it's kind of uh, rubs up against the whole uh, data self sovereignty movement, doesn't it? About being being more in control, being able to only uh, uh, expose what's absolutely required to be exposed for a service to be delivered, uh, without all the extraneous yeah. stuff that usually gets swept on alongside. And and technologies that, that can, can can help that, I think, are really important into the mix when we're we're sort of moving forward into a, a new phase of relationships between the the, uh, the providers and the, and the consumers and the, and the kind of data uh, the data driven relationships there. Yeah, I, I I absolutely think it will occur. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But like I said, GDPR and, and, and trust issues are going to move us in that direction. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be smart of companies to be prepared for that future twist. There are already online many places where consumers can control their own data and then 
distributed through either APIs and, and other technologies uh, to their trusted vendors or trusted locations. I think also, I think, up, you know, moving, technologies that are moving quickly like blockchain uh, with a distributed ledger, they're going to play a role in that trust side of my mm -hmm. equation. So, you know, I, I think I can kind of see it coming together, um, but I think the people that are going to reap the benefit are the ones that, again, back to our kind of original theme is, this isn't a negative thing. It's going to be negative for some people, but overall, this is a good stimulant to the enterprise data world. Um, I like the fact that, you know, customers can ask for transparency, um, you know, and I think a lot of, you know, businesses are going to have a hard time saying, well, we, we turned you down for the mortgage because, um, because they don't yeah. have the right level of maturity and sophistication in their advanced analytics platforms. And they're going to struggle to be able to even tell you when that model was built. Uh, so there is a bit of a collision here of, you know, companies are just getting their feet underneath them from an advanced analytics, MI and M or AI and ML standpoint. And at the same time, uh, you know, it's colliding with this need to manage it better. But again, I think it's a good thing. And I think the vendor community sees it as such. And, um, you know, they're, they're scrambling and working hard right now to make sure that they can supply the end, uh, the end users with what they have a right to. And transparency around algorithms will be a very interesting sticking point is, is being able to, you know, explain to someone, here's why, you sh here's why you should trust us because we looked at these variables and this is how the decision was made. Yeah, and that, that transparency, I think, is really, really important as as the uh, the AI models get um, get brought into more and more decision making or decision support, um, so that I guess early on it exposes where maybe there are biases in the system inbuilt into how the models were constructed because of maybe inadequacies in the initial kind of data collection or the model construction or what have you. And the sooner that those can be um, exposed and rooted out and rectified, uh, the better it's going to be in the long run for processes that then do end up being, being fairly reliant on this kind of uh, machine learning assistance and automation and so on. Otherwise, it's, it's just some black box and you don't know, like you say, why you were turned down for the loan and you're unable to ask because you don't have that kind of transparent relationship with the provider. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you touched on that topic. I think that data bias and algorithmic bias and black box analytics um, are all issues that are coming at us like a train. Um, mm. We need to get prepared for it and you need to have the right system and solution in place to deal with it because it, it's going to be a problem. And, and I think where I see it is, is a handful of years ago, Craig, when I would meet with companies, they would introduce me to their one data scientist. They would talk to me about the one or two critical solutions they have that are utilizing the data scientist's work to make decisions. Now, when I go to see customers, I'm asked questions like, how can you help us deploy, manage, and optimize 10,000 models across our entire ecosystem? And you kind of go, oh. Really? So you're at that point. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, we have a team of data scientists and business analysts, and we have 75 people in this department, and they're cranking out analytics every single day, but we need to manage it, deploy it, keep track of it, optimize it. You know, are you ready to help us? And I think smart vendors are, but at the same time, I think a lot of companies are going to be challenged by 
if they took a simpler approach. And one of those simple approaches is this, this black box automated analytic. I think it's okay and interesting to automate simple things, uh, but you need to be able to manage it and optimize it and keep track of it. And if you're only reliant upon pushing a button for your analytics, I don't see how you can be uh, compliant with things like GDPR and creating trust with your customers. So, you know, there's there's a lot of change happening, and it'll be interesting to see how that occurs. Mm. So, yeah, like you say, a lot of change now. But what what do you think the next stage of evolution in data governance needs to be? Maybe this, you know, for the guys that are already they've kind of got it. They they understand that they need to be at the forefront. They need to um, embrace this as an opportunity to to reestablish the to reimagine the relationship maybe they have with data and their, their customers' data. But what What's coming after this down the line? Is it is it responding to things like blockchain? Is it responding to things like the self sovereignty movement? Is it responding to biases in the system? What's what's going to be uh, the next sort of six to twelve months worth of uh, uh, pain and opportunity, maybe in equal measure? Yeah. Well, I want to say yes to your question. <laughs> yes, yes, Greg, all of them. Um, all of you know, them. Blockchain is blockchain still a ways out. Companies, uh, we see it as an innovative technology. Our customers are looking to us for guidance on using it. There's interesting use cases that are coming about from it. I mentioned one around that trust side of, of connecting my data to systems and systems to my data. Um, I think that a distributed ledger sort of technology will enable that to happen quickly. Um, you know, the data bias and biased data uh, or analytics, um, that's going to be something I think that's going to come on a little slower, but I think I used the word train when I mentioned that it's, it's going to happen. And, and it gets back down to, did you build a good enough or a solid enough foundation for your analytic practice and for your business as a whole to be able to respond to that? I see some companies, uh, and, and this is sort of a side to what you're saying, but it's close. Uh, I just met a, uh, an enterprise firm recently that was explaining me to the role of their um, their chief ethics officer. Oh, and right. I went, oh, right. You know, and I said, really? Now, where do they fit? And they fit right alongside of the chief analytic officer within the business because this is a company that's already using thousands of algorithms in their environment. And they saw that they needed to avoid the problem of and and I write I wrote about this in one of my books. They said. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of power. We have a lot of power these days. And, and one of the areas of power I find interesting around this data concern is derived data. You know, so we, we can take data point A, B, C, and D, and we can derive or make an assumption and create data point E without anyone's permission. And a lot of companies are examining that practice right now of where does this fit our culture from an ethics standpoint, not just how does it fit against GDPR, but how does it fit us as a brand and as a business? And so it'll be different for every company, but I do find it interesting in, in, that companies are already starting to address the ethical side of this. And I think those are smart companies. Those are companies mm. that get it. They see data as fuel to innovation, but at the same time, they feel responsible for maintaining a relationship with their customer that stays in context, remains trustworthy, and it's, I, I'm a big fan of it. And I think we're going to see a lot of that coming up soon as well. That's interesting. So, yes, because, of, of course, quite typically you'd find that um, 
the sort of people in an organization who are responsible for the customer relationships are not necessarily the sort of people who are responsible for regulatory compliance. And I guess right. your, your chief, your chief, data, uh, chief uh, ethics officer kind of sits in the middle there, making sure that, yes, you, you know, it's, it's not, not a case of just saying no, it's, it's one eye on enabling the business to do the things it wants to do, but to do it in a right and proper way, that means that you can maintain that level of trust and transparency with the customers and bring them with you. I think that's very important for the brand, isn't it? Yeah. I, I really do. I mean, I think, you know, we, of course, have seen brand detriment and things like, you know, Cambridge Analytics and Facebook. And, and there's lots of examples of, you know, companies that have taken their analytics practice a step beyond where it's innovative and where it becomes sort of uncomfortable or what I call icky uh, for, <laughs> for the consumer. And so you're crossing that, you know, either the context line or the trust line. You know, simple examples of that. Um, I think one that hurts a lot of brands uh, is that is ad retargeting. You know, I, I go to a website mm -hmm. and make a purchase, and then everywhere I go for the next two weeks, the advertisements for the website follow me. And I find it out of context, and I find it a bit poor. I, you know, it makes me think less of the brand when they can't figure out that I already bought the shirt. Why are you still <laughs> yes. Why are you still sending me ads? And and the same is true in banking. You know, when you when when the system says, you know, would you like to apply for a mortgage? And I already have one. And it's like, well, these guys yeah. don't care about. Me. If they did. They would know I have a mortgage. And that's that's that idea of you know having the bad foundation, having an unrefined process, and then making those types of mistakes. And a lot of people around analytics don't necessarily think that's. Like, uh, you know, they, they don't they see that as a minor concern. And frankly, from where I sit, I think it's a major concern because it shows me that you're not an advanced company. So by, uh, you know, tripping or stubbing your toe a bit in your analytic practices, you actually demonstrate to your consumers or your partners that your brand may not be as solid as you'd like them to think it is. Mm. And uh, yes, otherwise you end up as the as the customer being being followed around till the end of time by the same advert for, for golfing trousers like you were saying yeah I, my mother told me once the internet was following her and she was very concerned <laughs> yes, all, all, those, all those times you end up screaming at the browser i've already bought those go away exactly. doesn't work doesn't exactly. work uh, maybe if you turned on access to the microphone, it would uh, it would get the message. I don't know. That's a bit creepy as well. Um, so we're, we're approaching the end of time a bit. Um, well, that sounds almost biblical, doesn't it? I mean, we're, we're coming we're coming <laughs> up on the close. Um, I mean, lastly, Sean, do you have any specific advice for for anyone who's kind of got the responsibility for making this making this work in their organisation? What should they What should they do first? What should they do next? What should be their their top of mind priority right now? Yeah, you know, if I were going to speak to it in sort of a, a broad fashion, I would say you need to examine the different aspects of your business. And so I'll, I'll use the data management side and the analytic practice of your business, which is where a lot of this GDPR stuff comes in. Most companies have a wall there. Uh, their, their data is in silos. The analytic practice is in a silo. And I think my, my best word of advice to companies that are taking a hard look at this and looking for more performant way to do things is to knock down those walls. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes it's just simply with some technology, but I think also it's culturally. 
it's uh, you know, you've got to get the IT teams and the business teams aligned on the goals, and that often comes from stakeholders that are higher up, like a chief data officer, a chief analytic officer, or the office of the CIO. Um, but more and more, I see it coming from stakeholders that are directly related to this type of practice. But I think the biggest problem most companies have right now is it's distributed all over the place. They don't have systems to manage it where it lives, the data that is, and there's too many walls and too much politics. And so mm. I think the big move I see right now is, is a coming together of analytic practices and this idea of data orchestration. Orchestrating data or having a, a data intelligence layer connected to your analytics becomes, I think, the way most companies are solving this. And they do it with a variety of different things. But the bottom line is, is I think they need to move in concert. Mm. Indeed. Sage words. Um, okay, well, that, that's great. Thank you so, so much, uh, Sean, for your time today. We covered some, some great things there. I think all the way from data literacy and transparency and, and trust through self-sovereignty to uh, data bias and AI and, and all points in between. Um, so all that remains is for me to thank my guest, Sean Rogers. Goodbye. Thanks very much, everybody.